And this person um, had the idea that God is just some force. And they don't have a personal God. Now we get a lot of the uh, this belief from the Eastern philosophies. You know, they come and they say that God is, you know, their concept of God is not the same concept that we have. So, for instance, they'll say God is. This person said God is just unconditional love, just a force of love. That's God. So I asked them, I said, well, how do you define that? I mean, well, what is God like? And they said, well, God is like just pure love. Just It's in everybody. God is in everybody. So it, they're describing this whole thing to me. And my first thought was, hmm, so is God justice? Does God judge people? No, no, God is just unconditional love. He doesn't judge people. He doesn't condemn people. You know, so they're fighting Christianity because we're saying God will send people to hell. And they're saying God is just love. He just loves so I said, I kept probing and asking more questions of what I come to find out was that they have an impersonal God. God is really not, you know, somebody you can relate to. So I said to them, you know, listen, me and you can relate. You know, I can relate to you. We could talk about things and you're a person, I'm a person. We can have fellowship. We can discuss things. And, you know, we're relational beings. You know, what if I push you? If I come to you and push you, you say, "Oh, that's not right. You shouldn't be pushing me." You know, you're invading my person. She said, and that's not right. So I said, "So what are you gonna do?" She, she I'm gonna push you back. <laughs> I said, "Okay." So you can relate to. In other words, you're gonna make. She said, but I'm not condemning you. I said, "Well." You you are making judgments now about what I've done. Yeah, because you, you're invading my space, she said. I said, that's right. That's exactly right. You can make the choice to push me away. That's justice. You, you're not going to just let me do anything because you are a person and you have standards. You know, I'm not just going to come to you any kind of way and you say, oh, it's okay, unconditional love. You know, no, you're going to say, no, that's not acceptable behavior. You can't do that. That's what you're going to tell me. So I said, now, but... See, you have that, but yet you don't think God has that. You don't think that God has any standards at all. That's what you're telling me. You're saying he anything goes. This God is just love. But really, I said, if, if this loving God created all things and he created beings like us that are relational, you mean he's not relational? He doesn't have a personality? He doesn't have standards? That that we can relate to, but yet he, he's able to create creatures like that, but he's not like that. So she, she got to thinking, yeah, that is true, yeah. So then we, we still have, and we're going to start looking at a couple more passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about indwelling. The Holy Spirit is a real person. He actually indwells you. He lives in you. Wow, we're going to have to discuss what that means. Holy Spirit lives in you. What for? Why would the Holy Spirit live in me? You know, what's what's the point of all of this? And then we'll, so First Corinthians three gives us some some answers to this these, and other questions. Start looking at verse sixteen. First Corinthians three sixteen says, "Do you know?" And don't you know 
that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. There it is, right there. Now, this is something that you should know because Paul starts out saying, don't you know? Don't you know? Which means, he's saying this is common knowledge to him, but it obviously is not common knowledge to the Corinthians. That's why he says, don't you know? Well, he says it in, in chapter 6, 1, 2. He, he says it quite a few times, but in 6, 1, or 2 actually, he says it again. Do you not know? Now, again, it is common information in 6, 1 that they should have known. Let's put this one down. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're talking about 16 and following. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and following. We'll just dig in here, find out what we're talking about. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? Now, did any of you know that? That, that's a question because if you didn't know that then you would fall into the same category of the people Paul's talking to it's common knowledge that once you're saved the Holy Spirit lives in you now it's interesting because Christ is in us and Christ uh, is in us from a positional standpoint every person that believes in Christ Christ is in them but now Christ is not at home or living in us or said to be living in us until we grow up and allow him to manifest or actually be at home in our hearts. And the Father is not said, not said to be living in us until we grow up and, and, and have him manifest in our heart. We find this from where we read before in John. You can stay where you are and I'll read it to you. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. See, there, that, that is the motive for the Christian life. We don't obey out of uh, fear. We don't obey because we have to. We obey because we love God. That's the motivation. Some people obey because they're afraid that if they don't obey, then they'll lose their salvation. And that's the reason why they do everything they do, because... They're hoping they will be saved one day. Well, if you love me, he says, then you will keep my teaching. That's important motivation. Then it says, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will live in them. We will make our home with them. This verse in 1 Corinthians 3 says that the Holy Spirit lives in you. No condition in that. But in the other verse, there is a condition that the Father and the Spirit and the Son will be at home in us. And this, you have to understand that that distinction has to do with you. And that's all it is. Now, it doesn't mean that the moment you're saved that Christ is not in you. Sure, He's in you. But is He at home in your heart is the question. The Father's in each person. Ephesians 4, 6. The Father's in you. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's all true of every single believer in Christ. Christ indwells their body. But is he at home in you? And here, the distinction is that the Holy Spirit is inside you and living in you. It just says, you don't know that the Holy Spirit is in you? 
Do you, 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 what's, you don't know? Now, if you don't know, that means that your volition or your free will has nothing to do with it. All you had to do was believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you. He even lives inside these people who are bickering and arguing with one another. Remember, 1 Corinthians 3 is uh, the divisions in the church, where some groups had uh, come aside and said, I'm of Peter, another of, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Jesus. Right? And there's these four groups, and they're all fighting one another in the church. And Paul is telling them, don't, don't you know that God the Holy Spirit is in you? Don't you understand that? He lives in you? So it didn't have anything to do with your free will. So right now, as you sit here, if you're a believer in Christ, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. We call that the indwelling of the Spirit. That's what we call that doctrine. We, Paul, we don't know that the Holy Spirit is in us. So Paul's going to teach him what, what the significance of it is. Let's, let's go with them. Okay. Um, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now there it is. And that the God, and the Spirit of God lives in you. So two things. God's temple and the Spirit of God lives in you. You didn't know you were a temple of God. But yet, a temple means a, occupy, a, a dwelling place where God occupies. That's what a temple is. Well, we talked about what good is a temple if there's no, if God is living there. What good is a house if there's nobody who lives in it? And 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 in this case, if you are God's temple, that means that says that pushes forward to say that God either wants to live in you or does live in you. And that's important. We don't. We talked about what temp, the significance of temples that were in the Old Testament. And if we see the significance of a temple in the Old Testament, it was a sacred building, holy, set apart for God's purposes. There were things that went on in the temple where God gave the Spirit to certain members of Israel, especially for them to be able to construct the temple, to, to craft the, the articles of furniture there, the way the building would be, or... The tent and every detail was laid out to scale according to divine specifications. So this building was dedicated specifically for God's use. You didn't just come in there and hang out. It wasn't a building for people to just shoot the breeze in. This was specifically for God's purposes. It was the temple or the tabernacle or the sanctuary, we say. And what, what, what made it special? God was there his dwelling place. And we talked about in Jerusalem. When they prayed, what did they do? They turned toward Jerusalem. And because that's where God was. They're praying to God. They didn't pray and look up in heaven. They prayed and they said, well, God's presence is in Jerusalem. That's where he is. So we're going to pray toward Jerusalem. Not to say they didn't pray toward heaven. They did that as well. So now, let's look at this verse again. God's temple is sacred. This is the next Next um, thought uh, in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. We'll just read a couple verses here just to make sure we understand. Uh, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourself. If any one of you thinks he is wise by 
the, the standards of this age, he should become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Now, there is a word that we want to look at, and that is to destroy. And I'm going there in 1 Corinthians 3, and looking at verse 17. And if any man destroys the temple, I just want to make sure we understand what that means. And that word means, let's see what the word is. Um, uh, st strengthen from, it's, it's to wither, that is to spoil, to ruin uh, by moral influences, to corrupt, to defile, and destroy is the last meaning. Okay, so that word can have all those different meanings. What's the connotation that's happening here? When it says, if anyone destroys the temple. Well, you didn't create the temple, so you can't destroy the temple. The temple is you. God says, I set up a temple in you. How did he do it? He set up the temple in you by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit living in you is what creates the temple in you. Now, for you to defile the temple or to or ruin the temple, or spoil the temple, is what? How do you do that? See, because people would look at this verse and say, well, if you destroy God's temple, what does that mean? Well, if you commit suicide, then God will destroy you. See, it doesn't make any, any sense. So, just, I just want you to expand your understanding on the meaning if anyone destroys God's temple. You cannot destroy God's temple, but you can defile just like in the Old Testament, they could defile the temple. Right? And how did they do that? How do you defile the temple? Remember those two priests came into the temple? And they offered strange fire? What happened to them? God struck them dead, didn't he? And that's because they were defiling the temple. Well, you know what? In context here, let's look at the context. What is the context? Context is people sinning. People in the church conducting themselves under carnality. And that defiles the temple. That's why he's going back to this because there's this arrogance that goes on in the church. And that's why he's talking about some people thinking they're wise and they're, they got this attitude of arrogance when really it's foolishness. And they are defiling the temple by their attitude. Now sometimes people have taken this verse and used it for different things. Like to say, well, you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, you must practice good health reform. You must not smoke. You must not drink. You must not do all these different things because if you do, what happens? You defile the temple. Right? You're an unhealthy person. You are defiling the temple of God. Is that true? Why is that not true? Isn't your body the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple of Right. right, Spiritually speaking, right? God is the one who came into your body. God the Holy Spirit indwells your body and makes it a temple. Just think, what was your body before that? It wasn't a temple. I don't care how healthy you were. Right? Did your health have anything to do with the, your body being a temple? No. What if you have a person who's on their deathbed and they got cancer is racking their body. Is their body the temple of the Holy Spirit? If they're a believer, yes. 
It is. So it doesn't have anything to do with their health. No, not at all. Why do people say that? Why do we hear this thing? That your body, you gotta eat right, because your body is the temple. Don't smoke that cigarette. Your body is the temple. Don't drink that drink, right? Don't you hear this? Or am I only the one? I'm, I, I'm the only one that hears these things. Right, you guys look at me with these blank looks like, people say that? Yes, they do. And I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says and what, what the Bible means. You're not defiling the temple if you practice poor health habits or you don't eat right or eat junk food. God is not depending on you to maintain the temple in that way. He depends on you to maintain the temple as far as not defiling the temple. If you defile the temple, there are problems. There are problems. And you do that by sin. So the very people who run around talking about they got... They're making sure they're keeping their body temples straight. Could be defiling the temple. They're doing the very things that God is saying not to do, which is uh, sin. Arrogance causes corruption of the temple, not health reform or, or, or refraining from this or that. So like I said, you could be a person with poor health, poor health, or, and still the Holy Spirit is, your, is functioning as the temple. What about Paul? He was—he had all kinds of problems. And you look at some of the, uh, the others. They were sick. And it didn't say that, you know, their temple was being... They were doing something to their temple. Now, in fact, what about good health? Bible says that um, physical exercise profits... What? Profits? No. <laughs> no, it does. It's, it says little. Physical exercises, uh, physical exercise profits little, but godliness is really uh, um, to say your spiritual life. Your spiritual life is what you should really be focusing on. And the physical exercise, I'm not trying to say don't don't focus on that, but godliness is really the focus. It does profit a little. Uh, physical exercise, and we know some of the benefits of it, right? We can see that. So, what about exercising our spiritual life? That's going to even show greater benefit now and in the future. So there it is. Um, so, so we know indwelling. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians and we'll, we'll see if we can nail. Now we know what defiles the temple. or just, and NIV says destroys the temple, which kind of is a little um, pushing. pushing you know, I don't think it really is saying that. If anyone destroys God's temple, how do you do that? Well, these people were doing it, and God is patient because he's not just going to wipe you out from one instance, but they were pushing uh, God this, you know, with their carnality. So, but if anyone, and I would, would rather use the, the term defiles the temple, um, God, <clears throat> what will God do? God will destroy him. We have to take this as a warning. This is a, really is a warning. Can what will happen if God destroys you? What will happen? You lose your salvation, right? Physically die. That's it. Physically dead. And then you're going where? You're going coming home early. You're going <laughs> okay. So this destroying the temple. Well, we said that the Holy Spirit sets up a temple in your body. So if God will destroy 
Who does who does he destroy? Him, the Holy Spirit? The body. The body. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure we focused on what, what is reality here. The Holy Spirit doesn't die. And remember, if he stays with you forever, he's talking about you're still not going to, your soul, what happens when you die? Your soul and spirit leave the body, and, and that's physical death. Your soul and spirit leaving the body. So when it says here that God will destroy him, he's talking about he will discipline that person. 11, 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. On himself. Now, obviously, the verse in 1 Corinthians 3 says that if a person defiles the temple, then God will destroy him. He will destroy him. Now, destroy him, we're talking physically, right? The person, and what is the temple? The body, your body is made a temple. Who makes it a temple? God, the Holy Spirit. So, he, if God's going to destroy the temple, then what, what is he going to, what is that to say? That's death physical death. God's going to administer physical death to the body. And then here here in 1 Corinthians 11 we see that anyone who eats and drinks uh, without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And in verse 30 that is why men, uh, certainly these people are defiling the temple by what they're doing, right? They're defiling their body temple. That is why, verse 30, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep he says that is why meaning that they have received judgment they have eaten and drinking judgment upon themselves what kind of judgment well here it is they are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep what does it mean fallen asleep physical death, physical death right not just tired right they were physically taken out God took them out he did. Some people say, God never does things that are bad. Yeah. He never does evil. Well, this is, he's disciplined. God has the right to discipline, right? He chastises those that he loves. He definitely does. So why would we want to, here, look at verse 31. But if we judge ourselves, and you always got to remember this verse, because people will tell you all kinds of things about what happens to these people that God judges. Because they will tell you in a the minute they're lost. And it can't be saved, but you've got to remember this verse. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. What does it mean, judge ourselves? We confess our sins. Right? If we judge it, well, I'm judging myself, I mean, I'm recognizing that I sinned, that I must have violated God's command. And by me admitting that to God, that's judging myself. Then God says, what? We would not come under judgment. That means we won't get the weak, sick, and something falling asleep. Verse 32, when we are judged, okay, if we are judged, that means what? Some, somebody must not have judged themselves. That means God had to go ahead and judge them. This, this also means that they eat, ate and drank and did not discern the body. So when we are judged by the Lord, there it is, what, what's happening? We are being disciplined. That's what's happening so that we will not be condemned with the world. We will not be condemned with the world. You could read that another time. We will not be <laughs> condemned.
condemned with the world because people are telling you you are condemned with the world if you come under this type of judgment. So how severe is that? That's pretty severe. Right? God is saying, you know what? I'm not going to just spank you. I'm going to take you out. That's, right. That's how much judgment you're going to get. You're going to leave this world. You're not going to be qualified to, to be on or serve on this earth anymore. He takes you out of the battle. Remember, we're down here in the battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, spiritual wickedness. And it's a battle that we're in. And you have disqualified yourself for battle, for combat. And God takes you out of the world. He takes you out of the battle. Doesn't mean you don't belong to Him. You still belong to Him. That's why He takes you out. You're being disciplined by the Lord. As you said, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. So we want to look at this warning. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3. Always remember that verse. Believe me, it will come back. When you have uh, conversations with people and they tell you about how people can lose their salvation... Paul, the, the Lord put this in here for us to understand as a principle of what happens. See, because people are like, well, we don't know. We do know. We do know what happens when we're disciplined. What happens? God says, this is the reason, this is the extent of the discipline. But what happens if we're taken out? Well, we don't know. Yes, we do know. We will not be condemned with the world. That's a, we'll, be, we'll be taken out, no doubt. He will do that. So, should we be afraid of God? That's not the point, is it? We don't want to be afraid, but we want to respect and understand that what's important to God ought to be important to us. God tells us not to defile the temple, because if we do, He'll destroy us. Then we, we need to make sure we understand that. that as a warning. Why? For God's temple is sacred. His temple. I'm, I'm back in 1 Corinthians 3.17 and toward the end. That's why God's temple is sacred. And what did we just read in 1 Corinthians 11 about the communion table? That's sacred to God. And you're defiling it. You trample over the blood of Christ, which is the death of Christ, which those elements mean. You just eat them up from people. You don't even care that we're using these elements for a spiritual purpose. God says, that's sacred to me. Then what? I will destroy you. I will cause you to sleep. I will take you out in physical death. Here we find the same thing in 1 Corinthians 3. And that is that um, this, this is the reason why God will destroy you. Because the temple is sacred. You need to understand that your body is sacred to God. It is sacred. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to come back to that. 1 Corinthians 6. And I know you know these verses, but we, since we're on indwelling, it might, we might as well say them. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Now, these verses you got to understand, remember, are verses, uh, you know, where Paul is throwing out what is commonly said, and he's giving you what the scriptural answer is. So don't go around saying everything's permissible for me. That, that is not the point. Okay, then I've heard people read this. Everything is permissible for me. That means I can do anything I want. Is that true? No. No, it's not true. Not true at all. 
So Paul is, is, is countering some of the phrases of his day. This is what they said. Everything is permissible for me. Paul said, but not everything is beneficial. Then he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. So people are saying, hey, you know, I got this attitude. And listen to what Paul says here. And he goes into this dissertation. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. When he says the body, is he, what do you mean? The body. The body of Christ? Your body. Your physical body. Your physical body. Not meant for sexual immorality, but it is meant for, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Who owns you? Lord owns you. And, and sexual immorality is not part of what the Lord wants to do with your body. He owns your body. When he says he owns you, that's what it means. 14. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that? So if God owns you, that means he owns your body. Not only does he indwell you, but he owns your very body. That means it's his. Right? We, we look at that and we say, well, you know what? I'm me and God's over there. I belong to myself, really. And I just serve God. No, that's not it. That's not the relationship we have. God actually owns you. So if he owns you, you're part of him. It's like the Borg, if you've watched Star Trek. How they assimilate right? everything. In a sense, when you belong to God, you're part of Him now. That's why it says right here, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Christ's body on earth. You're part of it. When it says that He is the head and we are the body, well, your particular body makes up part of the body of Christ. That's real. That's a real union. Shall I then take the members of Christ, that's what a member is, meaning one person, and unite them with a prostitute? Now, the Corinthians had uh, this notion that after they were saved, they could still continue <clears throat> to worship in the pagan temples where they had prostitution. That's what they did. So by them going to church, they, they felt like, you know, hey, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And Paul had to let them know, no, 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 that's not right. Let me tell you why. And here's why. Well, we're, we're almost at nine. We're going to have to finish this, really, though. Members of Christ. And unite them with, with a prostitute. And then he says, never. <laughs> Explanation. In other words, wrong thinking. Because in their minds, it was okay. They didn't understand the dynamics of what God had done in them. Part of what we're talking about is the indwelling of the Spirit. You're not just anybody anymore. You are now a member of Christ and your body is sacred. God the Holy Spirit indwells you to make your body a temple. And Christ now occupies that body. You are holy. Do you realize that? You're holy? Look in the mirror and say, I'm holy. Just say it tonight. I'm holy. Because you are. What makes you holy? Where you act, where you conduct yourself, what makes you holy? It is. God has taken what was a common use, your body. You were using it for any old kind of way. And even the Corinthians were using it 
to conduct themselves in these lewd manners. And the God, the Holy Spirit, takes your body and now indwells it and makes it a temple. That sets your body apart for God's holy purposes. The word holy means to be set apart. We get the word sanctified from that same root word. Or saint, which is to set apart for God's holy purposes. That's what we mean. The temple was sanctified or holy. The holy temple we talk about. And holy means that you are set apart for God's special purposes. And what for? Certainly not for prostitution. Shall I then take verse 15? Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that the one who, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's who you are. So what do you do? What's the result? Run, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know, here it is again, and he reiterates the reason for all of this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. So what is that? What result is that? You are not your own. You don't belong to yourself anymore. God owns you. He has set you apart for his holy purposes. You may not even know it, but that's the reality. These Corinthians didn't know it. But truly, God set them apart for his holy purposes. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God. How do you honor God? Well, you understand, first of all, who you are. That God created something special in your body. And, and you're part of something that is sacred, holy. Your body, just like the Old Testament sanctuary, you wouldn't think of doing anything that would defile. You would not even think about it. Why? What would happen if you did? What would God do? He'd say, oh, it's okay. He, what would he do? He would destroy you, wouldn't he? Death. Take you out. What about the man who reached out to steady the ark? Remember there? What did he do? Destroyed him. Why? Because that was a holy temple, a holy ark. And there were rules prescribed that how you handle the ark, how you transport the ark, and they were not following those. So God had to defend His holiness. He couldn't allow that to be uh, the, the the ark to to be um, used and abused in that way, just as a common piece of furniture. It wasn't a common piece of furniture. It was where God said, that, you know, His presence dwelt between the cherubim. It was a holy piece of furniture. You have been made holy. People don't realize that, but guess what? If you are acting in such a way where you are using your body in ways that God has told you is unacceptable, He tells you, run! Run from sexual immorality. 
God has the right to take you out. He does. Did, do you want to read it again? Now I'm going to let you read it at home. You read it. Go home and read it. Should we take this warning up? Well, God, he hasn't done it before. It's okay. I, I did it and nothing happened. If you want to, if you want to go ahead and do that, you, do you know who you're playing with? Do you understand who you're playing with? We might have to read one more scripture, just so you know. Uh, I'm not trying to tell you to be afraid of God. I'm trying to tell you who you are. First, uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's just look at what happened. Hebrews. I don't know why we're talking about this discipline. I guess it's important uh, so that we understand uh, what the, the implications of being the temple of the Lord happen to be for us. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at this. Um, verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5. And it says, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Sons. That's what we are. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. That's interesting to know, right? People don't care about the Lord. You know what they think? Hey, I'll do it again. I'll do it when I get ready. I'll do it as much as, and, and, and I'll, God, you'll just, for, I'll, when I get ready to ask forgiveness, you'll get forgive me. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. That's what you're doing when you do that. You don't think it, it matters, right? You say, oh, you know what? I could sin any way I want. no. God says, and don't lose heart. When he does rebuke you, don't lose your confidence because God's doing something to correct you. This is like a little child. You've got to make him hurt. God says, don't spoil the rod because you will spoil the child. You've got to get his attention. God sometimes has to get our attention. Every single one of us knows what I'm talking about. Not one of us are, is, is exempt from his training because every son who he receives, he must do this. He must train us. So look at verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He, that's why he, we receive this correction. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. We need discipline. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship. If the Lord placed you in a position in life, what is he telling you? endure that as discipline that's the lot right there God is treating you as sons this ground that we're in is the battlefield that's, that's the ground everybody thinks that you know right here we're supposed to have everything we're supposed to that we can imagine whatever you dream of God's supposed to give us you know it doesn't work that way tell us what happens when we become a son this is the reality of it endure hardship as discipline God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, what else? Let's see. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. 
But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Look at verse 11 is interesting. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's value in God correcting us. Now this is correction that everybody receives, but we don't want to necessarily receive correction when we have in, uh, persisted in wickedness or in our sin nature. If we persist in our sin nature, then God can bring other types of discipline to bear upon us. We don't want that. So I say there is punitive discipline and there is suffering for blessing. Right? These people here who are being disciplined and being trained by that discipline are suffering for blessing. It's going to produce something in them. That's a harvest. The other type of discipline comes when I say punitive or when God has to discipline us because we've been bad. And being bad means we don't care. We're just going to defy God. Well, we could try that. But just remember, God will not be made a fool of. God will not be mocked. He will defend his honor and his integrity. So you can play around if you want, but these scriptures are in the Bible to let us know God, God is He's real. He will He will treat us as children and He will discipline us. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit he lives. We're going to talk about the grieving and the quenching of the Holy Spirit later when we get to the filling part. But your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, we're just about ready to quit because it's time we got to close. We'll finish up next week and we'll be done with the indwelling. We'll start on the filling next week. But we still have a few things to, to clean up here. And one is um, the, the temple and the indwelling. Where we're going to focus on the fact God is indwelling the temple. We're going to finish with that thought and then we'll start with the filling. Let's stand and we'll have a word of prayer as we close. We are grateful, Father, for God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. He has created in us a temple. And he has made us a member of Christ. So, Lord, we come to recognize this, and maybe we may not have realized the extent of the indwelling of the Spirit. But it is a very sacred thing that God has done in us. He has created something holy in us. And we must recognize this holiness and this sacredness that you brought to our lives. So we ask, Father, that you would give us the, the reality in our souls. Make this a real understanding in our souls so that we don't abuse what you've given to us. We want to be like Paul, where he said that he keeps his body under control so that while he preaches to others, he himself would not be disqualified for the prize. The Lord, give us the earnestness and soberness to treat our bodies with respect because they don't belong to us anymore, but they are members of Christ himself. We ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.